Welcome to the Howie Silbiger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. Get in on the conversation. Call 1-877-669-1292. And good evening, I'm Howie Silbiger and this is the Howie Silbiger Show right here on the True Talk Radio Network. You could feel free to join me in conversation. The number to call, 1-877-669-1292. That's the number to call to get in on the conversation here on the Howie Silberger Show on the True Talk Radio Network. So happy that you could join me. I'm really happy to be here, and I'm happy that uh, that you're here with me and that we could share this time together. It is is extremely pleasurable to be on the air with you. I know it's been a while since I've been on. And, uh, and I know that, uh, thank you all for who've, who've messaged me and asked me where I've been. Um, the, the simple truth is that, uh, I've been very busy and I haven't had a chance to get on here and do the show. Unfortunately, uh, life gets in the way sometimes. Uh, but I'm here now and, uh, and we could do a show tonight. And I invite you to join me in conversation at one 669 That's 1-877-669-1292, where the... We, we, we always have a great conversation, don't we? It's always great. So the Iranian leader, the, uh, the leader of the, of, this, of the country of Iran, the, the terrorist country of Iran, uh, has, has, has vowed to destroy Israel. And an Iranian ca- commander named Mojaba Fada said that Iran would frog march newly minted and uh, and constantly reoccurring Prime Minister of Israel, Benjamin Netanyahu, that he would frog march Netanyahu to Iran wearing a leash and a slave collar. What a strange thing for an Iranian commander to say, for an Iranian gender, g- general to say. It just seems like a weird thing to say, that I'm going to enslave Netanyahu. I'm not going to kill him. I'm not going to oust him from power. I'm not going to destroy him uh, in a political sense or in a physical sense. I'm going to enslave him. And one has to wonder where that came from. Why Why would somebody want to enslave another person? Uh, I thought slavery was over hundreds of years ago, but apparently not. At least not in certain countries, not in Iran, not in Libya, not in some African countries. Slavery still exists and it's still very rampant today. And therefore... Um, uh, Iran saying that they want to enslave Netanyahu is not shouldn't be a, a huge surprise to anybody. Uh, the the funny thing about this whole thing is, and 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 I say funny not in a ha ha kind of way, but in a huh let's think about this kind of way, is that with all the slavery happening around the world, with all the people who are who are who are, who are working enslaved and uh, and and are and are literally slaves in different countries, uh, like the Uyghurs in, uh, in China, like, uh, like I, I guess, people in Iran. I mean, if the Iranian commander wants to enslave Netanyahu, uh, I'm sure that there must, be a, um, there must be a precedent for that in his country. Uh, and, and the woke people, the people who, uh, who scream, the people who yell and scream that Israel's an apartheid state and that Israel is, uh, is somehow is somehow um, uh, oppressing the so-called Palestinians. And these people who, who yell this, these people who scream this, are, are awfully silent 
when it comes to uh, people attacking Israel or people attacking Jews. It's amazing that the double standard exists and continues to exist that Jews being attacked, it's okay. It's okay to attack Israel. It's okay to attack Jews. It's okay to beat up a Jew in the center of New York City. That's fine. That's okay. But if you, but if you, if you, if you attack anything else, if you talk badly about a black person, or 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 you say something disparaging against Asian people, or or, or heaven forbid, you insult a trans person, then. Your career is over and they will end you. They will cancel you. You will be finished for the rest of your life. It's shocking to me. It's actually, it's absolutely shocking. Uh, I, I always tell the story and I, I like to tell the story because it's so ludicrous. It deserves being repeated over and over and over again. And I think I've told the story on the show before. If I have, forgive me if you've heard it before, but I'm going to retell it now because it, it is a, it is a it, absolutely shocking story. <laughs> and I say shocking once again, not as a, whoa, I'm shocked about this, but shocking as a, huh, let's think about how shocked we should be about this. But unfortunately, we're not. A few years ago, I was a, um, I was a student teacher. I, I got a teaching degree. It was my third university degree. And after uh, multiple, almost uh, over a decade of teaching, I decided to go and be official and get the license to, uh, to actually teach and and which led me to, to many other positions, including the job I currently hold. So, I um, as part of this teaching, teaching program I was in, you're required to go to various schools to, um, to be a, a student teacher, to, to learn from a, from a more experienced teacher who could teach you the ways of teaching and teach you the ways that a classroom worked. Now, even though I had a decade experience in teaching, the, uh, the university I was at, did not recognize teaching experience as, uh, as experience and forced you, regardless of how many decades you had, there was another person there who had 23 years of teaching experience, but they forced you, no matter how many decades of experience you had, to go on these uh, internships, sometimes with people who had less experience than you did, um, than you did <laughs> you know, teaching. Uh, it seems ludicrous, but that's the system, and you can't argue with the university system. It is always correct, so you can't you can't argue with them. And if you choose to argue with them, you are wrong. Uh, and so you're forced to go on these uh, on these uh, these these um, internships, and they're unpaid. And so so you end up going to a school. I went to a school with a with a um, with a teacher. The first school they sent me to was a school with where a teacher had five years experience teaching. I had over ten. The teacher that was uh, my coordinating teacher, my boss in the school, the teacher overseeing my education, had five years experience teaching, and that's fine. I mean, uh, you know, five years in one school could be 20 years in another. About a week before I started my my internship, and uh, about a week that, um, uh, about a week before I met the teacher that would be overseeing my internship uh, in the school, I get a call from the university I get a call from the university uh, program director, the director of the program that I'm in in the university. And she says to me, Howie, we have a problem. I said, what, pray tell, could be the problem? She said, the teacher that's supposed to oversee your internship has looked at your Facebook. And looking at your Facebook and finding your Facebook group and looking at your Facebook and seeing some of your posts, 
She strongly disagrees with your political stance. And therefore, she does not feel that she could potentially uh, be your, your, your teacher. And she doesn't think that a guy like you, and these are the exact words that were used, she doesn't think a guy like you could be, uh, could, could, could be in her school, that, that you could be accepted in her school. I was a little dumbfounded by this. Uh, I didn't, uh, you know, at the time, I, I really didn't think that um, that this was this that my politics were at all relevant to my ability to teach uh, children math and history. Uh, I didn't think politics really factored too much into any of this at all, actually. And so it was a little shocking to me that this teacher would have this uh, this bias against me before I even walked through the door. And so I said to the uh, program director, okay, if she doesn't like me, find me another school. I, I don't care. I don't care what school I go to. But I, I, I find it, um, it would be disturbing to go into a school where somebody has prejudged you for your internship before you even started. Anyway, after a lot of back and forth, the university decided to send me to this teacher. So I went to this teacher and, uh, and I had the worst internship of my life, the worst time of my life. She rode me and rode me and rode me. She, uh, she, she abused me and used me and abused me. And then she failed me. So it was the first course I had failed too. So now I had failed an internship. Now the program I was in, when you fail an internship, means that you are thrown off the internship. That's it. You're gone. Out of the program. And, and so I appealed the fail. I lost the appeal, but they let me stay in the program because they realized that they had put me into a situation that was unfair. All right, so uh, I haven't gotten to where we're going with the story yet, but bear with me. The next internship they sent me on, I went to a French school in Quebec, a French school. And uh, a couple of weeks into the internship, it was a three-month internship, so a couple of weeks into the internship, the, the um, teacher who was overseeing me, her father died. Suddenly, he had a heart attack and died. And the teacher had to take off. The father lived in a different province. The teacher had to take off to go and, uh, and care for her mother. And so the principal came to me and said to me, uh, you know, look, um, you have a lot of teaching experience. I, I know I can see it when you're in the classroom. That It's obvious that you have a lot of teaching experience, that you have a lot of experience in the classroom. While the teacher is gone, would you mind becoming her permanent sub? So, so she'll be gone for three weeks. You could become the permanent sub, and then you'll continue your internship afterwards. So in, in other words, the principal realized that I had plenty of experience teaching a classroom, but I was just doing this for the formality. I was just doing this because I had to. I, I wasn't doing it because I was trying to learn something. I learned nothing on any of these internships. So I said, sure, I, I, I would love to. And, and by, by accepting that job means that I'm automatically, a, um, I'm automatically a, an employee of the school board, which means I could get a job in the school board after my internships are done. So I could just apply to the school board and get a job. Uh, well, not even apply to the school board. I would already be an employee of the school board with an employee number. And I would just be able to apply internally for whatever jobs are available and find a job. And the school that I was in, right around the corner from my house, by the way, uh, I probably could have stayed in that school. They had a bunch of openings and I could have probably had a good position at school. It would have been great. And I said, yes, I will take the job. And then she looked at my yarmulke. She looked my keeper, and she said to me, you'll have to take that off. And I stopped and I looked at her and I said, really, really, I'm going to have to take it off? She said, unfortunately, 
with Bill 21 in Quebec, we cannot hire you if you insist on wearing that. So if you don't wear it and you take it off, you can be a teacher in the school. I will hire you. You can come work in the school. It's not a problem. I will sign the papers right now. But if you refuse to take it off and you don't want to take it off, as a student, you could wear it. So if you're a student teacher, it's no problem. You could wear it. But I cannot hire you to work in the school board if you insist on wearing your Jew cap. So now the decision was, do I take it off for anybody? Do I take it off because uh, I, I want to further my career? Do I take it off because this is a great paying job and, and I could... Um, and I could, I, could, I could have the job and, you know, it's a government job, pension plans and the whole nine yards. It gets me one step ahead of everybody else and uh, I would have a school board job and I'd probably be a, uh, a teacher, a full-time teacher in the school board right now. Or do I keep it on and hold on to my principles? Do I keep it on and hold on to, to my value system? So a lot of people would just take it off. A lot of people would say, hey, look, you know, Religion, religion comes secondary. Uh, you know, my living has to come first. Many, many people would say that, but not me. I chose to keep it on, and ended up hiring another sub to come in and uh, and take care of the class. While I sat in the class with the sub as the student teacher. So, you know, Bill Twenty One affected me directly. I lost a job because of it, and uh, I can't work in the school board because of it. Yet there's no outcry, no screaming, no yelling, no, 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 no complaints, nothing. It's just quiet. Absolute quiet. And the notwithstanding clause was used on Bill 21. And not, not a peep. I mean, sure, at the beginning there was a little bit of, uh, little bit of uh, people, a few people upset, but, but really uh, it's been awfully quiet. There have been many mass protests and uh, the government that passed the law was re-elected with a majority government. So, so... You know, the, bill, the law is there to stay. All right. We move on. The, uh, the next internship I went to was out in the middle of nowhere. I had a 45-minute drive from my house. And I went to this internship and uh, met with the teacher there. And the teacher there was a very nice woman. She showed me around. They gave me a key to the school. They, uh, they gave me books. They told me to prepare myself. And uh, it's usually if one week of observation and then you start. I was wearing my, my kippah, my yarmulke, I had on my head. Three days into this internship, the teacher looks at me and says to me, hey, listen, she says, I have to ask you a question. I hope you don't get insulted. And I said, oh, here we go again. She says, I see you're a religious Jew. I said, yeah. She said, what are your opinions on transgenderism? Now, what an odd question to ask somebody, because why is it relevant, what my opinion on transgenderism is? That, would be, that, was, that was my first question. My second question is, uh, does my opinion on transgenderism actually affect my teaching? There's a second question. Does it affect my teaching? And third question is, who cares? Who cares? That's my attitude. Who cares? Do I care what somebody else decides to call themselves or decides to dress as or decides to, to live a lifestyle of? Absolutely not. It's completely irrelevant to me. If you want to wear a, a cow costume and run through the streets in a cow costume, I couldn't care less. If you want to wear a woman's clothing, wear a woman's clothing. You want to wear men's clothing, wear men's clothing. I don't care. 
It's irrelevant to me. I am responsible for my actions. You are responsible for yours. So as long as you're not breaking the law or hurting anybody or, 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 or hurting children, then I really have very little care as to what you do. None at all, actually. You are free to do what you please. And, and you don't need my permission to do that. I know that. But I, I will not express an opinion on any of this because I couldn't care less. And that's what I told the teacher. I don't care if a student decides that uh, he wants to be a she or she wants to be a he or it wants to be a it. I, I couldn't care less. It's irrelevant to me. What the student does in their private life and what the student does in their public life is irrelevant. Does the student know math? Does the student know history? Does the student know English? That's relevant to me. So if I give the student a project and the student decides to do the project, well, then, um, then, then I will base the project on the work that the student put into it and not on what the student looks like or what the student's wearing. I couldn't care less what they look like, what they're wearing. I couldn't care less at all. I couldn't care at all. Did you say, wow, great answer. Uh, you know, I love that attitude. I said, okay, whatever. I got home about two hours later, and the phone rings, and I answer the phone, and it's the, um, it's the coordinator of the internships who tells me that the school decided, that school there decided, that they do not want me working in their school anymore, that I am banned from their school. See, our, our, three days into an internship, three days into, uh, into a, a new job, well, a, fr- a non-paying job, I'm banned from the school because I refuse to express an opinion on transgenderism. So because they were so curious about a guy wearing a yarmulke, a guy wearing a kippah, who refused to express an opinion on transgenderism and said that he doesn't really care, they Googled my name and the word transgender next to my name. And one article came up. One article did come up. An article I wrote in the, uh, in the late 1990s when we were talking about uh, transgenderism, and, and when the when the issue first came up in the early two thousands, I had written an article for a newspaper that was published, and the article basically questioned the notion of uh, of transgenderism. It, it talked about um, it, it talked it talked about the medical the medical conditions that would lead someone to believe that they were something they weren't. So lead a man to believe he's a woman, or a woman to believe she's a man. Uh, and, and, and it discussed uh, medical papers. It was really a technical article that discussed medical papers, and it didn't really express an opinion at all. It, it was just, a, uh, it was just a, a recap of a bunch of medical studies that, uh, that discussed the issue. It was a hot issue. This is what I was hired to do, and this is what I did. And they said, citing that article, they said that I could not work in the school anymore. They, they, they were firing me <laughs> from a free job, from a job, uh, from an internship. So this is the second internship I was thrown out because somebody didn't like my opinion. I was canceled twice during these internships. I, uh, I objected, of course, and, uh, and, and we had an argument about it, me and the university. I threatened to sue them. And at the end of the day, I got saved by COVID. So I was probably the only person in the world who was saved by COVID because um, when COVID hit, all the universities shut down, all the schools shut down, and the, and the government decided that they were going to pass everybody who was in an internship and since I wasn't officially removed from the internship yet because I was still appealing their decision, uh, I ended up passing with everyone else. But this is how the stupid wokeness affects people. This is how the stupidity affects people. We don't have open minds anymore. We, we, you know, people can't talk. People can't have discussion anymore. Yeah, you can't have a conversation. 
You know how many friends I've lost because I've posted up my opinion on various political topics? Now, there was a time in my life, uh, you know, 20, 30 years ago, where I was able to have an argument with a friend. I was a right winger. He was a left winger. We'd have an argument. And then we'd go out for pizza. We'd go out for a cup of coffee. We'd go out to, uh, to, to do whatever. We would still be friends. We could disagree. We could argue even publicly on the radio. I've had plenty of less wingers on my show. We could argue publicly on the radio, and then we could go and, uh, and enjoy some kind, of, uh, some kind of refreshment after the show and, and laugh about it and, uh, and have a good time and enjoy each other's company. Because we were humans, and we were normal humans who knew how to interact with each other. So why can't today's generation, why can't, why can't young people today have friends that don't agree with them, have friends that, uh, that, that have varying points of view? Why is that not possible today? Well, there's, uh, there's, there's multiple reasons for that, but one of the major reasons is social media. It's one of the major reasons. Social media, the great brainwasher, the great organization that, that takes human beings and brainwashes them to believe one point of view. And to believe that one point of view is, is 100% correct. And that there's no varying points of view. And anyone who thinks outside of that box, so, so there's a box, and if you think outside of that box, you are a fascist, or a Nazi, or a racist, or all three, or a combination of them. And that's what they'll call you. A, a Nazi, racist, fascist. Now, now the lefties, the, ones, the woke ones who are... Who are who are doing this, who are calling people Nazi, racist, fascists, aren't the first ones to do that. Way back, uh, I'd say in the late 90s, I was uh, writing for a newspaper called The Monitor. It was uh, around since the early 1900s. It was an old paper. And I was writing for the paper. We had revived the paper. It was dead for a few years. And we had revived the paper. And I was writing a column for the paper. And uh, around that time, Dr. Laura Schlesinger, she was a talk show host. She still is a talk show host. Uh, she's on Sirius XM now, but she was a nationally syndicated talk show host who gave advice to people who, who called her for advice. So she gave relationship advice, basically, uh, or life advice. And, um, and, and she came up with a statement uh, where she said that being, uh, being a homosexual was a biological error. Now, whether I agreed or disagreed with that statement is totally irrelevant to the story. And I never actually shared my opinion on whether I agreed or disagreed with that statement. But what happened was that the, the gay community took it as an offense, took, it as an, took offense to it, and they went and they, and they started um, uh, pressuring the advertisers to her show to drop their advertising. So she had a syndicated radio show, and she was about to come up with a syndicated television show on CBS, and the advertisers suddenly pulled out of her television show, which promptly got canceled. No money, no show. And she eventually had to uh, leave syndicated radio and move on to uh, satellite radio where she could talk about anything she wants and say anything she wants and, uh, and nobody could come after her. So I wrote a column. And uh, I argued in the column that, that I, regardless if I believe or, dis, or, or, or don't believe, whether I agree with or disagree with what Dr. Laura said, she has the right to say it. I wrote that you know, we live in a, a society where we should be able to express an opinion, no matter how revolting, how, how, how disgusting that opinion is. We should have the right to express that opinion 
un- unfeathered, unhindered. I mean, if you want to counter that opinion, that's fine. You want to have an intelligent conversation or intelligent debate to counter that opinion, that's good. You want to uh, start up a radio show and, and counter the opinion, no problem. You want to come on to her radio show and and talk about it, just call her up. She had open lines, like I have open lines, so if you don't like something I say, you could call me up. one 669 1292 It's a free number. It's toll-free from anywhere in North America. You could give me a call. If you disagree with something, that's fine. So, I made the argument that she should have the right to say what she wants. And if you don't like her, the ultimate way to get back at her, the ultimate way to to protest anything she says is to stop listening to her. Turn off your radio. Don't tune in. The less people that listen, the less likely the show is to continue. And you want to hit her hard? That's the way to hit her. Take away her show. Naturally, after I made that comment, after I, after I wrote that commentary piece, naturally the station got 200 letters. Now stations, normally, the, 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 the uh, station, sorry, the newspaper got 200 letters. Now, newspapers generally receive maybe 10 letters a week, five letters a week. They don't get 200 of them. So this newspaper got 200 letters, and all 200 were ranking me out as a homophobic racist who, um, who, who was advocating for the destruction of the gay community, whatever that meant. Homophobic racist, I was called. Homophobic? I'm not scared of gay people. I just don't care enough to, to worry about their lifestyle. Racist? No, no, not at all. Gay people should live with the same rights everybody else has. I have no issue with that at all. You want to live your life that way? Then feel free to live your life that way. What do I care? It's no skin off my back. It doesn't change anything for me. It doesn't change the way I live my life. I don't have to conform to the way you live your life, and you don't have to conform to the way I live my life. I'm not a judge, and I'm never going to be a judge in this world. And the only judge we have is God. And when we finally get there, let him do the judging. What do I care? And that's been my attitude forever when it comes to, when it comes to homosexuality, comes to transgenderism, comes to anything. I don't care. What you do behind your closed doors is your business. It's not my business. And please don't make it my business. I couldn't care less. Do what you want with consulting adults. Do what you want. Have fun and, uh, and uh, be safe and whatever. I couldn't care less. But to call me a homophobic racist because I made a statement saying that because somebody made a statement you disagreed with seems crazy to me. Seems absolutely insane to me. Yet it happened and, 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 and it continues to happen. People get labeled, all sorts of stuff. Um, you know, the, when I was growing up, and uh, it wasn't that long ago that I was a young guy and I was growing up. When I was growing up, the worst thing you could have called somebody, the, 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 the most terrible insult you could have called somebody was a racist. Oh my gosh, if you called me a racist when I was a kid, that, 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 that would have resulted in a fist fight. How dare you call me a racist? I, I'm not a racist. I don't hate anybody. And had, I, had you called me that as a kid, we would have had a fist fight. We would have had, we would have had physical altercation because that's how bad calling somebody that was when I was growing up. Now, we've used the word so often and we've diluted the word so often and so much 
that calling someone a racist today has no effect whatsoever on them. You're a racist. Oh, yeah, okay. So he's calling me a racist. Yippee. Who cares? It has no effect on people anymore. That's really a sad commentary. It's really, really sad that you could call somebody such a horrific name and it has no effect whatsoever. Another word that they've used ad nauseum and has, has caused a massive, massive, massive diluting of the actual, the actual meaning of the word is Nazi. Calling someone Nazi or comparing someone to Hitler has become commonplace today. And, and when you think about it, it's, it's kind of revolting that you could call someone that. If someone called me like Hitlerite, a Hitlerite or a Nazi, not only would I be awfully upset about it, I'd be angry. Now, the reason I'd be angry is because I understand the history of Nazism. I understand what Nazis did. I understand who Hitler was and the evilness that was, that was associated with the Nazi party. I get it. And so calling someone a Nazi is probably the worst. It's worse than calling someone a racist. You are basically saying, when you call somebody a Nazi, and lefties out there, if you're listening, you know, take note of this. When you refer to somebody as a Nazi, you're referring to somebody as a genocidal maniac. You're referring to somebody who is planning the annihilation of the Jewish people. Because that's what the Nazis were. They, they were. they were a group of people who who were planning the annihilation of the Jewish people, the complete annihilation of the Jewish people, and built factories, built factories to destroy the Jews. Those are who the Nazis were. So when you refer to somebody as a Nazi, when you call somebody and say, he's just like Hitler, no, no, he's not. There's nobody just like Hitler. Referring to people to be just like Hitler doesn't make any sense. There is nobody today, aside from the government of Iran, who I would say are the modern-day Nazis, advocating for the mass murder of Jews. The government of Iran is. They want to take the Jewish prime minister into uh, in, a, in a dog collar and a, a slave and slave chains and, and enslave him in Iran. They are the Nazis of today. So if you want to refer to the Iranian government as Nazis, I, I have no problem with that. But referring to other people as Nazis, no, no. Nobody else is advocating the uh, Nazi annihilation of the Jewish people. Nobody else is advocating setting up uh, concentration camps or sending, or sending nuclear bombs into the, uh, into, into the center of Jewish populations. Only Iran. But nobody's attacking Iran. Nobody's really fighting about Iran. It's shocking. Netanyahu got up when he was prime minister, last time he was prime minister. He got up in the UN and he, he, he showed that Iran was, uh, was building nuclear weapons. But nobody seems to care. Especially the president of the United States. Couldn't care less. It, it's kind of scary. When you think about the world that we live in today, it's kind of scary. And uh, when you think that, that this, is, this is the world we live in, that, that this is what we have to deal with, it, it is kind of scary. The geopolitical situation in the world today is terrible. Yet, here we are. And we continue. The world keeps going. And, and, and the world keeps rolling, and we have to keep rolling with it. We have to accept sometimes the fact that we can't change much. We could talk about it. We could scream about it. But there's not much that we could change. As long as we understand what's happening, we can protect ourselves. We can protect our families. But we have to understand what's happening. 
We have to understand the propaganda that the media is, uh, is, is spewing at us. We have to understand that the media is in the government's pocket. You know, the uh, notwithstanding clause that was used to pass these racist laws in Quebec and these, uh, these, these, these horrific laws in Quebec, so uh, I'm referring to the, uh, the expansion of the uh, French Charter, the Quebec Charter of Language, and the, um, and, and the, and the, and the uh, Secularism Law, Bill 21, Law 21, and, uh, and, and Law 96. You've got to understand that using the notwithstanding clause should not be allowed. You shouldn't be able to override the Canadian and the Quebec, um, the Quebec Charter of Human Rights. That should not be allowed. And the fact that the federal government, the fact that the MPs of the federal government did nothing to stop Quebec from doing this is shameful. Now, I posted this uh, a little while back saying that, you know, I, I, Anthony Housefather, the MP, uh, the Jewish MP in Parliament and, uh, and, and, the, and the Trudeau government did nothing to, to stop or to, to discourage Quebec from using the notwithstanding clause, although they were very vocal when Ontario wanted to use the notwithstanding clause to get teachers to go back to work. They were much less vocal when Quebec used the notwithstanding clause to not only curtail the rights of minorities, but to curtail the rights of English people. They were, they were very, very quiet when it came to that. Yeah, we'll join a lawsuit. If somebody else puts a lawsuit, I will join a lawsuit. And maybe a tweet or two, um, maybe a tweet or two condemning it, but that was it. There was no huge discussions in the nationalism, in the, in the, uh, in the parliament as there were for, the, uh, Doug, for, for Doug Ford's government's decision to use the clause to, um, to, to pass this legislation, this back-to-work legislation. They had a whole debate during question period about it. That didn't happen for Quebec. That didn't happen when the rights of, uh, of millions of people in Quebec were curtailed. Nobody cared. So when I posted that, uh, Anthony Housefather, the MP for uh, Mount Royal Riding, uh, responded to me, and he, he twe- when I tweeted it, he responded to me by tweet saying, that's absolutely false. I stood against this. Well, well, yeah, okay, you may have posted once or two. You may have tweeted one or two uh, tweets against it, but, but where were you? Where were you screaming? Where, where were the protests? Where was the government saying that we're going to disallow this law? Where, were, uh, where, where, where was any of this? Look, the Trudeau government can't fight with Quebec. They're, they're about to pander to Quebec even more. If they pass Law C-21, which is going through Parliament now and it will probably pass, they are going to ratify the Quebec language laws and and instill the Quebec language laws into federal, into federal uh, institutions. So right now, federal institutions are, are are exempt from the language laws in Quebec. If Bill C if C twenty one passes, then these federal institutions will be liable to follow the laws of Quebec, the, the language laws. The federal government is going to force federal agencies in Quebec to be unilingual French. Now, if you think that's a problem, uh, if you don't think that's a problem, then, 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 then that's a serious problem. If you don't realize that that's a problem, then that's a serious problem. What the Quebec government is doing, and, and, and this, it's quite obvious to me, it's been quite obvious to me for quite a while, that what the Quebec government is trying to do is they are trying to create the, the, the on the ground, they're trying to create separation Without a referendum and without actually separating, they're creating the, the, the they're creating a a situation. They're trying to create a situation where 
Quebec will be so distinct from Canada, so separate from Canada, that eventually they'll just say, hey, listen, we're declaring independence, we're leaving Canada. Uh, because, look, we're, we're already so independent that we don't have to be part of Canada. Or they'll have some kind of sovereign uh, sovereignty within Canada, some kind of uh, working relationship, some kind of uh, association. But, but this is what they're doing. They're trying to separate Quebec without a referendum. Now, I don't know if Quebecers, I don't know if Canadians are too, uh, are too naive to realize this. I don't know if anybody is just blind to this. But as long as we keep electing in separatist governments and separatist politicians, as long as the majority of Quebecers who vote still believe that separation is the, is the solution here, then Quebec is going to be in danger forever. And the federal government's never going to jump in to save Quebec. They, they don't care. If Quebec left tomorrow, the transfer payments that they give Quebec, and which are larger than all the other transfer payments they give to any other country, in any other province, will just be redistributed to other provinces. This is what the socialist system is. It's a form of communism. It's, it's a, so, so we live in a socialist country. Canada is a socialist country. So, you know, the, uh, the few pay to benefit the, the many. So, so if we pay our taxes and, uh, and our tax money goes to, uh, to be redistributed amongst the provinces equally, Quebec gets a bigger share. Quebec's a huge province. province is the big, second biggest or biggest province in Canada. Quebec, uh, Quebec gets the majority, the lion's share of the, of the transfer payments. So Quebec's transfer payments will stop coming to Quebec, and that's fine, uh, and, and just be redistributed to all the other, all the other provinces. So Canada doesn't really care. They'll save money if Quebec separates. Will they lose part of their population? Yeah. But uh, Ontario has many more, many, many more people than Quebec does. So Ontario is much more important in the government's eyes than Quebec ever will be. And Quebec is the thorn in the side of the government because of the French and the, and the French language. So the Canadian government doesn't really care about Quebec. They pretend to. They have to because they want to keep the Union together as much as possible. They want to keep the Confederation together as much as possible. So they have to care about Quebec, and they have to pretend or feign some kind of care, in, uh, some kind of, some kind of care of Quebec. But in reality, actions speak louder than words, as the old saying goes. And the actions of the Quebec government, the actions of the uh, Canadian government, in relation to the Quebec government, uh, just tells the story right away. So if you take a look at how the Canadian government reacts to Quebec's silliness, and I'm going to use the word silliness instead of lunacy. I'm trying to be polite. I don't know why. Maybe I shouldn't be polite. Maybe I should just use the words I want to use. So you look at the, how the Canadian government reacts to Quebec's lunacy and the lunatic laws, the, the, the absolutely racist, xenophobic laws that are passed in Quebec. And you realize very quickly that the Canadian government doesn't care about the people of Quebec. Doesn't care about the minorities in Quebec and definitely doesn't care about the French people in Quebec. If they did care, then they would do something about these laws. They would do something about the laws that continuously punish the French people in Quebec by not allowing them to have an English education. That continuously punish the English people in Quebec by curtailing their, uh, curtailing their rights, by, by shutting down their schools, by not allowing students to go to their schools, they're shutting down the English schools in Quebec. One by one, they're disappearing. This is not an acceptable situation, but this is what it is. The English Montreal School Board, which is, which is the largest English school board in Quebec, 
is down to 76 buildings. Now, I'm sure they had multiple hundreds of buildings uh, years ago when students were allowed to go to English school, but now they're down to 76 buildings. Wow, 76 schools in the entire province. It's quite scary and sad. Well, at least, uh, at least in the area that the English Montreal School Board covers. It's quite scary and sad. It is very scary and sad. And it's dwindling. Attendance is dwindling. Schools are closing. So if the Canadian government actually cared about the people of Quebec, if the Canadian government actually cared about the people living in Quebec, the English people and the, uh, and, 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 and the French people living in Quebec, they would intervene. They would do something to, to try and stop the Quebec government from doing what they're doing. But alas, here we are. I, I don't know where else to go. I don't know what else to tell you. We got to stop with the apathy. We got we got to stand up and we got to fight back. That's really where it, where it has to be. All right, that's it for me tonight. I will be back tomorrow, right here on the Howie Silberger Show, right here on the True Talk Radio Network. I know that the um, I know that there's a technical problem with the uh, with the audio coming through tonight. Uh, I'm aware of it. The um, there's a problem with the microphone. I'm working on it. Uh, thank you so much for, uh, for for texting me, those of you that did. Appreciate it. Uh, until tomorrow, I bid you a good night.